you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. And now, move the sticks. 10 takeaways from week nine with Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks, and Rhett Lewis. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks, presented by Zaxby's DJ Bucky Rhett, back with you for our takeaways here from week nine. Uh, Buck, how's it going, man? Man, everything is good. Great weekend of football. The pro games were outstanding. What do you think, Rhett? What do you think about what we saw this weekend, bud? Are you talking about Sunday or Saturday? Because uh, um, uh, uh, I feel uh, like I feel like Bucky and I have something in common here uh, following this last week of college football that has left you on the outside looking in. Is that perhaps the AP Top 25 rankings or – is it wow? Um, wow! How's it feel, DJ? What, what, is North Carolina ranked? North Carolina did they get to twenty fifth, right? Yeah, we're back. Yeah, yeah, we're back. We're back. We yeah. had a we had a hiccup last week, but we're back. Oh, okay. Well, Rhett, Rhett, all, all I can tell you, all I can tell you is the last time we saw Bucky's school, we know how it ended. And I don't care if Indiana's ranked number one in the country. I will put all, I will put my life savings on App State against Indiana uh, head to head. I don't care what the numbers say. Okay, <laughs> it, look, just you just wait. Ohio State's coming in a couple of weeks. We'll see what we got. Oh, uh, gosh. oh my gosh! Hail to the victors! What in the world? That is a bad football team. Yeah, Michigan's Michigan's not great, but um, look, this is a big win, and uh, there were plenty of them on Sunday as well. I know we're ready to get to that with our ten takes. All right, let's get let's get cranked up here, Bucky. Why don't you bat lead off today? Going to Buffalo, Josh Allen goes off. Josh Allen in the gun, takes the snap, going to keep it himself, runs to his right, gets inside the five, into the end zone, touchdown Buffalo. Josh Allen, it only took one play to cash in on Tredavious White's amazing interception. Touchdown Buffalo. Man, you, t- you talk about wanting to get right. Anytime you have an opportunity to face the Seattle Seahawks defense, it is a get-right game for the quarterback. <laughs> Josh Allen gets back on track, 400-yard day. And what's so interesting about the way the Buffalo Bills attack the Seattle Seahawks, DJ Red, of their first 36 plays, they call 33 pass attempts. Yeah. I mean, this was an out-of-the-box game plan. You talk about really attacking and exploiting a team's weaknesses. The Buffalo Bills attacked the Seahawks secondary, and they did not let up until the game was over. And, and Buck, you know, Brian Dayball, the offensive coordinator in Buffalo, getting a lot of love here lately after this uh, drubbing of the Seahawks uh, defense, and rightly so. I mean, he identified where they wanted to attack, and it was in the pass game where the Seahawks pass defense is what the Cowboys run defense was through the first six or seven weeks in the season, as in historically – Bad, historically bad. Right now, they have given up over 2,800, almost 2,900 passing yards in the first eight games. That is the most by any team in the Super Bowl era. Did you ever think, once Pete Carroll took over and we saw where this defense was trending in Seattle, that you'd ever say something like that about a Seattle Seahawks 
defense. They were beat time and time again. Jamal Adams coming back did not help the pass defense uh, one bit, and that should surprise nobody that's sitting here on your screen right now. Um, look, and DJ, I know you're going to look at it for us in the aftermath. They did show some promise getting after the passer, but they had to do it with the blitz where they blitzed at a higher rate on Josh Allen's 45 dropbacks than any other team we've seen in the next-gen stats era in the last five years. They blitzed over 50% of passes, and that was crazy. Yeah, they are able to get home with some of those, but here's the problem. And I actually was curious about the numbers, and that's what's great about PFF to be able to use them for this type of a resource. Because I'm like, man, Seahawks have no business playing this much man coverage. So, Buck, I went back and looked it up. They were in cover zero, uh, man across the board, 11.8% of their snaps. And they were in cover one, so man free, 33.8% of their snaps. They have no business with that secondary, and especially as you've pointed out previously, that Josh Allen and this Buffalo offense had struggled a little bit working through some some zones that they were facing. So to see at, at that point in time, you're talking about 45% plus, you're in man coverage. What, what, what am I missing here, Buck? Yeah, I, I really don't understand the Seahawks' game plan for this because the Buffalo Bills had struggled. They've been slowed down of late when teams that played zone. Uh, Josh Allen had a tough time fitting the ball into tight windows through anticipation. And now you play man coverage where you make it really easy for him to see where his reads are. You also give him an opportunity to flee the pocket if the pocket breaks down. I just don't like the game plan. I don't understand what the Seattle Seahawks were trying to accomplish because this man-to-man game plan gave Josh Allen plenty of opportunities to attack down the field, and he did early and often. Right, what do you got here, Rhett? Let's, let's keep the train moving here, number two. Takeaway number two on Sunday night. Pump the brakes on the Bucks Super Bowl bid. You got a sidecar on the backfield. Fournette, here's the snap. Brady to the fourth down. Brady, flash down the box, looks downfield, throws it all toward Gronkowski, and it's going to be intercepted at the 30-yard line. Under pressure, and Brady threw it up for grabs, and Rob Gronkowski could not help his fellow teammate out. That was a great picture of the struggle. That was a desperation throw-it-up pass with a minute to go in the <coughs> third quarter. That's how bad it had gotten for Tampa. And by the way, that tagline, that was not that is not a cliche, you know, your trope pump the brakes kind of thing. That is legitimate. <laughs> Go back to the pre-anti-lock brakes era where you legitimately had to pump the brakes to avoid stopping short. Because like every couple of plays, you're like, whoa, 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 where did that come from for the Bucks? Where did this defense go wrong? Why can't Tom Brady complete a pass? Pump the brakes again. That's what it felt like. They were out physical by Taysom Hill on defense. They allowed 12 different receivers to catch a pass from Drew Brees in this game. They flustered Brady all day with pressure. He threw three interceptions. There was no hope on this day for the Bucs offense, who ran the ball in NFL all-time low five times in this game. So, you know, I, I also go back to the fact that you rarely had a game this season in a shortened offseason for a team with a new quarterback where Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Rob Gronkowski, Scotty Miller, and that whole crew were all healthy at the same time. And now you throw Antonio Brown into the mix. Everything just seemed off for the Bucks offense on this day. But I will say this. Brady gave us a very Belichickian description of the loss. He said we didn't play well in any phase of the game. That's, that's an understatement. He also said it's a poor performance by a team that has a lot ahead of it. So let's judge it this way then. Maybe Brady's right, but for a team that has garnered a lot of Super Bowl buzz 
and goes to work every day in the shadow of the building that will host Super Bowl 55, it sure seemed like the visitors from New Orleans are a whole lot closer to a February appearance at Raymond James Stadium. You know, Red, this was a very interesting game because I think what we saw was everything that we've seen pop up on film regarding the Tampa Bay Buccaneers finally reared its ugly head on a major stage. We saw them struggle against the New York Giants on a Monday night. We have seen them potentially give up big plays in the passing game, but for whatever reason, the quarterbacks haven't seen them because they've blown coverage and assignments. Against the New Orleans Saints, all of that stuff showed up. And then when the Saints on defense were able to get after Tom Brady, you saw that Tom Brady, under pressure, is prone to make mistakes. I think this is a team that certainly has the capability to go to the Super Bowl, but they have a lot of work to do to tighten up the issues that could prevent them from getting on a deep and extended postseason run. Yeah, Buck, one and nine. Uh, Brett talked about all the, the concerns. One and nine on third downs. And it, on the aftermath, we'll show it. I, three, three of them were intended for Gronk, and there's just there's no separation there. Mm-hmm. Um, so Brady's going to have to find somebody he's comfortable with, and maybe that was part of the reason to go out and get Antonio Brown uh, to find that third down guy that he's he's comfortable working with. But man, you have no shot when you can't stay on the on the field with your offense. They couldn't do it all day long. My 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 only takeaway from this, though, after we look at everything and how bad it was in all three phases, is historically. Tom Brady, after having an embarrassment, you do not want to be the team that plays him next because that's when yeah. you're going to get the best of Tom Brady. So to me, next week against Carolina Panthers okay, is going to Carolina. tell me a lot about this team. Yeah. Let's find, we're going to find out because if Carolina can give us a similar result out of this Tampa team that we saw that from New Orleans, then it's major, major warning signs. I'm not going to, I'm not going to totally freak out off this one game. But if they come back next week and we don't see vintage Tom Brady, which is always the matter he gets, the better he plays, if that Brady doesn't show up, you've got some issues at that point in time. Yeah. Uh, you- All right, let's keep it going here. Want me to jump in? Let's go uh, take away three. I'm going to jump to the game that was the two uh, two most popular teams in the NFL playing one of the more boring games in the NFL, and that's the, Steel- the Steelers sleepwalking to victory over the Dallas Cowboys. Third and four, but only three seconds left. He's back. Steps up, throws it for the goal line, and the pass is broken up at the goal line. Minka Fitzpatrick, and that ends the football game. The Pittsburgh Steelers are 8-0, and they barely survive a great effort by the Cowboys. Yeah, that's Minka Fitzpatrick in the end zone making a play. I feel like we've seen that before, Second right, with week. the Baltimore Ravens game. Exactly. So nice to see him making a play there. But this is a Steelers team was not at their best. Uh, they didn't run the ball as well as I think they would have liked defensively just didn't have a lot of urgency but they were they were really in these games and buck i'll go to you on this one a lot of times these games when you're not at your best it comes down just a couple plays and there was a red zone defense to me for the steelers you saw it uh with an interception in the red zone you saw it with a a huge sack in the red zone that that kept uh touchdowns off the board earlier in this game then you saw the the pass break up there at the end so to me as bad as you can be and as, as ugly as it can be between the 20s Good defenses, good teams find a way to, to kind of bow their neck a little bit when you got in the red zone. I thought the Steelers did a good job of that. They did do a good job of that. They flexed when they needed to flex, but this was a very difficult game for them. I would say the Dallas Cowboys had the perfect game plan for them. They really 
shortened the game. They ran the football. They put pressure on the Pittsburgh Steelers by playing a soft zone and really rallying and tackle against this short passing game. And I will say the one area of concern that I have for the Pittsburgh Steelers might be their lack of commitment to the running game. Ben Roethlisberger is still a great player and all those things, but Ben Roethlisberger doesn't push the ball down the field. In fact, the same questions and concerns that you have about Drew Brees, you can lob those in the direction of Big Ben. And so if they're not able or they're unwilling to run the football, it just puts a lot of pressure on him to be perfect and exact. And I just don't know if that's the kind of game that they want to play when they start to play some of these heavyweight teams down the stretch. Yeah, and I don't think I was alone uh, as in feeling really good going into this week, having James Conner on two of my three fantasy teams against this uh, Cow- <laughs> Cowboys run defense. And he goes nine carries, 22 yards. They only go 46 total rushing yards against a team that has been historically bad against the run. Look, I'll say this for Dallas, you know, I, I don't think they're going to be out of the NFC East until maybe week 16 out of the race. I mean, they're, they're only <laughs> one game back in the win column right now, and they're on their fourth quarterback. They've had... Uh, four consecutive touchdown passes thrown by four different players. Um, I mean, that's that's just the state of the Cowboys. You might get Andy Dalton back um, for their next game, but maybe some of the patience is starting to pay off uh, with, with with their defense a little bit. They have been much improved defending the run in the last couple of weeks, although they didn't set the bar very high to start the season. Um, but again, it just seems like you're never out of it in the East. Maybe they're getting better, maybe getting a little bit healthier. Neville Gallimore, I thought, played pretty well for the Cowboys, uh, the rookie defensive tackle um, against Pittsburgh. So, I, I, look, I, I'm just, you know, you just can't count anything out in the NFC East just yet. No. Yeah, it's crazy. No, not, not a single team, Bucky, has a, has a positive point differential in the NFC East. <laughs> No, not not a single team, but you, I think Red is on to something. They have gotten better. We'll see what it looks like in the NFC East. Yeah. It's a bad division, but someone has to win. <laughs> That's the truth. Yeah. Uh, well said. All right, Buck, what's your next takeaway? Hey, the, the Ravens grind out a tough one. Power formation here. Double tight end set. Play action. Jackson keeps it. Sweeps around the left side. He will stroll in for the touchdown. Lamar Jackson. He fooled everybody on that play. You know, this was a very, very tough game for the Baltimore Ravens. There was a lot of uh, conversation about Lamar Jackson and if the NFL has caught up to him. And even though he didn't put up great numbers, this was a huge test, and I think he passed it with flying colors. The Indianapolis Colts played a lot of zone defense, and in the second half, Lamar Jackson settled down, took what the defense gave them, nickeling down the ball down the field, ran a little bit, and this Ravens offense was able to generate enough points to win. Defensively, I think they do what the Ravens always do. They get after it, they knock the ball around, they create turnovers, and they were able to make Phillip Rivers uncomfortable, and with an older quarterback who was immobile making him uncomfortable was the key for them to be able to force some of those turnovers Bucky I I think you hit it on the head I think this was a huge development for Lamar Jackson in the second half I mean this is a player that as a starting quarterback for the Ravens has never led a comeback after trailing at the half this was the first time they did it here against the Colts given it wasn't a huge deficit but still they figured things out in the second half And while I want to continue talking about things that actually matter in this game, I can't because I just keep having the visions of of Phillip Rivers tripping over the 35-yard line, laying down like he's laying in the middle of a railroad track as uh, Chuck Clark comes flying through, putting his hands up. Uh, I mean, like it it felt like all of us versus 2020 this year. I mean, it's just like just, just watching everything go right by us, right over us. 
Um, I just I, I thought that was just hilarious. But um, I, anyway, I, I digress. You got more important things to say, DJ? No. I, well, it's a st- along the same lines of stupidity, uh, because when I was when I was looking at this game, everything with Lamar Jackson, I thought this was kind of a good display of when he's at his best. So everything, there weren't many balls outside the numbers. The only balls outside the numbers were within about five yards of the line of scrimmage. There's only a couple of them. So outside the numbers, it's a little bit shallow, right? Nothing down the field outside the numbers where he struggled. Then everything in the middle, you can work the seams, you can work the middle of the field. So I was thinking of it, if you're looking at the shot chart, Buck, I'm going to call it the, uh, they need to go with the Abraham Lincoln approach because it's like a top hat. You've got the flat bill on the outside here, and then the top hat, you can go a little bit vertical here on the top. So the shot chart for Lamar Jackson, as long as it resembles Abe Lincoln's hat, uh, they're going to be successful. (laughs) That's a good analogy and a great illustration of what uh, the MVP likes to do as a passer. But this goes all the way back to Louisville. When you watched him at Louisville, he has always been at his best when he's been able to throw in-breaking routes, isolation routes that cross his face. And so Greg Roman did a good job of getting him back on track by asking him to do things that he does really, really well. All right, Rhett, what's the next one here? What we got? Uh, The Chiefs survive. This will be a 67-yard attempt to win the game by Joey Sly. It would be a National Football League record. Sly, big leg. The kick is up, and it is way right. It's no good. What is good? Kansas City gets the victory to go 8-1 and at the bye week on a hard-fought victory. First off, I want to see the kicks that Joey Sly is making in practice to warrant Matt Rule's confidence <laughs> in these 70-yarders that he keeps trotting him out for. Look, I get it. End of the game. Maybe you think you got a better shot at a 69-yarder than you do a Hail Mary. But uh, I just I, I thought that's like the second or third game where he's attempted one of these ridiculously long field goals. I feel like there was one against the Saints as well. Um, but then I go back to just Andy Reid pulling another one out of the hat. Guys, QB motion? Like – QB motion before the snap, like moving laterally at the snap, taking the snap and then reversing out back to the right and throwing a touchdown pass. Like I had to like double take this and I wanted to pull out the rule book. Like, is that even legal? Um, I, 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 I guess I guess it is. Uh, but look, that's that's pretty fun. And let's have some weekly Patrick Mahomes appreciation here. I mean, almost 800 yards passing, nine touchdowns, zero interceptions the last two weeks, the quickest to 100 career passing touchdowns in NFL history, beating Dan Marino's mark by four games. Now 40 games in, he's over 100 career passing touchdowns. Look, say it all to say this, I mean, Teddy Bridgewater made a couple of Mahomes-like plays in this game. You know, made a couple of those kind of wow moments, especially that fourth and 14, 15-yard scramble where he levitated in the air for about five yards, kept his Panthers team in this game throughout and nearly led them all the way back. Um, but, of course, the Chiefs are 8-1 and one heading into the bye, and that's really the story here. And Patrick Mahomes is, again, kind of stepping to the head of the class in the MVP race as we are at the halfway point in the season. He absolutely is stepping into the forefront of the MVP conversation. This is a team that you worried about the Super Bowl hangover because they would get bored on their way to trying to put together a back-to-back run. And then when you look at Pat Mahomes and you think about Andy Reid and all the creativity, I think part of the innovation and the stuff that they do is to keep their guys from being bored. And so when you see the quarterback motion and you see these fun (laughs) plays that are dynamic and they look straight from a flag football playbook, some of that is Andy Reid trying to make sure that he keeps the attention of his guys. Eight and one head into the bye week. I think you feel great about where you are if you're the Kansas City Chiefs. 
Yeah, I, I just love it when you've been watching football your whole life and you see something you haven't seen before. And uh, Andy Reid continues to give that, uh, give us that uh, kind of on a yearly basis here. So that was uh, that was a fun one. Uh, let's get to uh, number six on the takeaway list. Some young franchise quarterbacks were on display in the desert. First and ten, they're at the 11-yard line, so an 18-yard run for play action fake corner of the end zone touchdown. Wow, what a throw! His first touchdown as a Dolphin. Hmm. Well, there you go. That was Tua with the touchdown pass there. The Dolphins go on the road, get a big win over the Arizona Cardinals in a competitive game where both Tua and Kyler did a great job of making plays. Kyler over 100 yards rushing. Uh, but, Buck, I'll get to you first on, on Tua. I thought watching the tape, moving the launch point with him, I, about seven or eight boots in this game. And then when he was in the pocket, almost everything was in rhythm. Three-step, five-step, ball gone. It was kind of what we referenced in the draft process, comparing him to like a Vegas dealer. Um, just balls out, sprayed all over the place. Um, get, get it to, to whoever uh, you, you feel like has got a little bit of separation. You're not going to lock in on one guy or another. Um, it felt very much like a kind of a Drew Brees light type of a game. I know the comparison, there was some Russell Wilson, there was some Drew Brees. That Watching him play in this game led me to believe the successful formula for them is, is more kind of a younger Drew Brees game plan than a, than more, than a Russell Wilson runaround game plan. Man, it's so it's so great, DJ. And I think what I what I took away from this is one, the outside noise about this being a 10, 10 game audition for Tua Tagovailoa to me was ridiculous. I'm glad that he played at a high level, and I'm also glad that he kind of confirmed that comparison that we had talked about when it relates to Tua being like Drew Brees in terms of a young Drew Brees from the pocket. You're absolutely right. When they throw on time, quick rhythm passing game, a little movement. He absolutely operates in an efficient manner that reminds you of Drew Brees. And when Brian Flores made this move, hat tip to him for being bold enough to say, we're making this move right now. Even though we could settle and go with Ryan Fitzpatrick, he always wanted more. And the young quarterback rewarded him because he played at a very high and efficient level against the Cardinals. And Bucky, I'm glad you mentioned all that weird 10 game audition talk like they would actually go back and draft another quarterback number one after taking two at five. Look, this was not about the future. Like we had to see 10 games for the future. This was about the Patriots on a four game losing streak. This is about the Dolphins being within two games of first place in the AFC East in a division that hasn't been up for grabs in more than a decade. And it's about the fact that Ryan Fitzpatrick, while a serviceable starting quarterback, and that's no disrespect intended to Fitzpatrick, while a serviceable quarterback was not the one that was going to, in fact, lead them to that type of rare air in Miami in the last, uh, you know, 15 years. You know what, guys, it, you know, now that I think about it, it reminds me of something that I've seen with the uh, 10th ranked Indiana Hoosiers in the last year or so, who saw <laughs> Peyton Ramsey come in and lead them essentially to an eight, eight win season last year into a bowl game appearance, but wasn't able to make enough plays at the end of games to beat high quality opponents. Whereas you bring in and you turn back to a quarterback like Michael Penix with a higher ceiling, with a bigger playmaking ability, and then you see the <laughs> likes of Penn State <laughs> and Michigan drop, Man. Uh, you know, as the Hoosiers go 3 0. So, look, I, you know, you see the comparison. Tua, the higher ceiling, gives the Dolphins greater opportunity to compete in this division and have a legit shot at a playoff appearance this year. No, Red, I, I agree with you. You done? I, 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 I never thought that we would have a Miami Dolphins, Indiana Hoosiers comparison, but I'll, I'll, I'll let it go because you are right. Brian Flores, 
roll the dice to go with the younger quarterback. But in rolling the dice to go with the younger quarterback, I think he wanted to make sure that he kept the turnovers down. This is not a team that has a big margin for error when it comes to winning games. Playing smart and efficient from the quarterback position gives them a chance to win a ton of games. Yeah, I fell asleep there for a little bit. I don't know what I missed. What Rhett was talking about Indiana football for the second time in the show, I, I, I dozed off. No, I yeah, I mean, like, that's, but that's, but you've dozed off, you know, so has App State so much so far this season. So, oh, wow. We've got one loss. We've got one loss. That's it. Early in the season, we're going to be fine. We're going to win a conference. We'll go win a bowl game. That's what we do. Um, all right. Let's, uh, well, I, I do want to tease one thing here to kind of wrap this thing up on these young quarterbacks because. Um, man, the Dolphins, if you look inside that division, the Bills got their quarterback now with Josh Allen. He's proven that with what he's done this year. It looks as though Miami has their quarterback, which is going to free them up with Houston's pick, which looks like it could be a top 10 pick here yeah. uh, to go get another big-time impact player as well as their own first-round pick. So a lot of draft capital still left. And we're going to get to the Monday night game because those two teams are the two that don't have that quarterback of the future nailed down. Maybe it's Sam Darnold. We don't know. But neither one of those teams – can have the same comfort level as the teams do in Miami and in Buffalo. And look, we're right now at number seven. I'm going to get right to it. With the Tennessee Titans, the Titans find a way to bounce back. Tannehill takes the snap, looks, fires deep downfield, going for Brown. He caught it at the 10, at the 5. He stretched the ball. A.J. Brown was the star of the day. Four catches, 101 yards. We saw the 40-yard touchdown that he was able to put in the paint because this was really a a sleepy game for the Tennessee Titans. Ryan Tannehill was just okay. Derrick Henry did not have a 100-yard game, but they did just enough to win the game. And I feel like whenever I watch the Tennessee Titans, that's just kind of how they play. They do just enough to knock off the teams that they're supposed to knock off. You wonder, will they be good enough to knock off one of those heavyweight contenders. But right now, they're well-positioned to make them make a run in the postseason, and then we'll see if they can improve enough to really have an, a long stay when they get there. Yeah, but you can't say the same for the Bears, who now have three straight losses to quality opponents, which make those three consecutive wins to start the season look more and more like a mirage, as every one of those teams are now well under 500. Look, Barkevius Mingo, a former top 10 pick at edge rusher of the Cleveland Browns, was the Bears' best Mm -hmm. offensive player. And he was the left wing on punt coverage in the first half and had the Bears' longest run of the day on a fake punt. It went for 11 yards. And you know what the Bears' offense did with it? (laughs) You know what they did with it? They went three and out, which is why they had the punt team on in the first place. And so, look, I get it. They've got some injuries along the offensive line. So does every team in the league here at this point. Their run game is non-existent. The pass game is, I, I don't, I mean, it's anemic. And it makes it feel like the three-point lead that the Titans held for a good part of this game was insurmountable for the Bears. They filled some the stat sheets with some garbage numbers towards the end and brought it within a score late, but it, it never felt like this game was in doubt, even though the Titans had a slim lead uh, throughout the entire first half. Uh, it, the Bears' offense is 
just an absolute perplexing mess at this point, DJ. Yeah, there's a lot of lakes in the Midwest, and uh, and right now I feel like Mike Zimmer and the Minnesota Vikings are just, they just have got the Chicago Bears on the hook, and they're starting to just quickly just kind of reel them in. It just seems like a matter of time, Buck, before you're going to see the Minnesota Vikings, who are at 3-5 and five right now, are going to end up catching up to the Chicago Bears, just because there's just no offense. I mean, they can't score. You, you look at Minnesota and some of their issues, and defensively, they kind of weren't what they were previously. But when I look at that team, they can score points. I just look at this Bears team and trying to figure out how the heck they're going to maintain a winning record as we come down the stretch here the second half of the season with this offense. I don't see it. Yeah, I really don't understand like why they haven't been able to really generate a consistent offense. Over the last year and a half, Matt Nagy was hired, part of it due to his offensive innovation and his creative tactics, and they just have not been able to establish an offense. And I would say this. If you can't establish an offense, they need to be great on defense. And you need to find a way to complement that defense with a running game or an old school smash mouth style. But what they're doing right now doesn't work for me. And it certainly isn't working for this team. Matt Nagy has a lot of work to do when it comes to crafting this offense. Well, DJ, you uh, you let us right into it, talking about the Vikings. That's where I'm going to go with the next takeaway here. At number eight, the Vikings starting to string it together. First and 10 from the 30, handoff, Dalvin shakes, attacks one the 25, and the race is on, and he's loose! Touchdown! 70-yard touchdown this time by the best in the business, baby, Dalvin Cook. Yeah, some interesting symmetry here in this game. Uh, Paul Allen uh, on the mic there uh, for the Vikings radio network. I, as a Detroit Lions fan, while my dad was working for them for about uh, eight years from 2008 to 2000 and uh, whatever it was, 15. um, I heard Paul with that very same call way too many times, but with Adrian Peterson Peterson. toting the rock. And there he is on that field suiting up for the lions like it just it, it just kind of shows you some of the embarrassment of riches that the vikings have had here at running back because dalvin cook if not for the vikings sub 500 record if not for their standing in the division division at this point and if not for missing two games guys he might be leading the mvp race at this point i mean I, i'll just give you one here he's just the third running back in the super bowl era with 12 plus rushing touchdowns five yards per carry in his first seven games of the season since I not even Super Bowl era in NFL history because you're going all the way back to Jim Brown in 1958 and Terrell Davis in 1998 both Hall of Famers both won the league MVP that season that's how good Dalvin Cook uh, has been he's got the ability to break a game wide open like he did on that long run against Detroit he has been just impossible to stop over 225 yards from scrimmage each of the last two games guys if he keeps putting that up like we might have to start talking about him as an MVP I mean he's been terrific and I think the thing that all scouts and general managers will talk about with Dalvin Cook this is the perfect marriage between a player's talent and the scheme. We were excited about Gary Kubiak taking over as the offense coordinator because we know what that stretch bootleg system looks like, that wide zone. And then when you take a player like Dalvin Cook, who is a perfect zone runner, you've seen the fireworks. The last two weeks, we've seen him go absolutely bonkers with the rock in his hands. The Minnesota Vikings are slowly creeping up on the competition in the NFC North because of that running game and Dalvin Cook. It's an interesting develop to keep an eye on because it looks like they may make a run 
And it could be fascinating to watch Dalvin Cook get all of the recognition that he so deserves. That's what I love is that there's people actually listen to the pod because, Buck, you mentioned we talked about this. And I just typed in, you know, move the sticks, Dalvin Cook MVP. And on our June 5th episode, uh, we were talking and said it's uh, Gary Kubiak has long been one of the best play callers in the NFL. I think if you're going to see Dalvin Cook be in the running as, as the MVP of the league. The run game is outstanding. They've upgraded the offensive line. It's all set up for Dalvin Cook and this Gary Kubiak system to have a monster year. So I feel like we were out in front of this one, Buck. Well, I just yeah, filled out, out my of, midseason uh, predictions, and I, I I didn't go all the way at MVP, but I did Offensive Player of the Year is going to be Dalvin Cook. He is absolutely right. amazing. Yeah, I feel like we're on that one. All right, let's uh, keep it going here. Takeaway number nine, and this is a very specific takeaway here. Isaiah Johnson, <laughs> big backup corner for the Las Vegas Raiders, six foot, 210 pounds. Trayvon Mullen, he got hurt. In comes Isaiah Johnson, and Isaiah Johnson saved the day. Herbert in the shotgun. This is the game. Snap. Rush <laughs> oh, man, Goes to Parham. Jump ball. Caught. Man, and look at that. Signal. signal is touchdown. Touchdown, Chargers. No doubt they will get a look at it, but the signal on the field is touchdown. And it oh, does. It, it is going to be incomplete. I've never seen anything like oh, it. Oh, money. I've never seen money, anything no. like it. No, say it ain't so. Yeah, that was money. That was money on the call there. Think about this, guys. So Matt Money-Smith, my play-by-play partner doing these Charger games, uh, in the New Orleans game, uh, one of the officials underneath the the uprights, we're calling the game off monitors, so one of them signaled that it was good for Michael Badgley at the end of uh, regulation, which would have won the game for the Chargers. So Money makes the call, field goes up, it's good, Chargers win, Chargers win. Chargers didn't win. Then we go last week. Uh, KJ Hamler in the end zone. Pass is thrown. Re- referee signals incomplete. It's incomplete. Chargers win. Chargers win. No, Chargers did not win. And then uh, this week, Donald Parham, touchdown. Chargers win. You just heard the call. No, Chargers didn't win. Has it ever been in the history? Somebody has had Radio three calls, and Money's had three calls where he's where we all we're sitting there calling the game, believing that they've won the game, only to find out that they haven't. Uh, a microcosm of what's been going on with the Chargers all year long here in games, but can't finish. Uh, but Isaiah Johnson, I thought it was interesting. Uh, and Buck, I'll go to you on this one because. Nevin Lawson's five foot nine corner, and on the other side you've got Isaiah Johnson who's six foot two. And I thought by formation they could have manipulated matchups. They could have found a way to get Mike Williams. Even if it wasn't Mike Williams, I'd rather take my chances with Keenan Allen working on on Nevin Lawson than to throw two jump balls at one of the biggest corners in the NFL uh, for the last two shots you had at it in the game. I, you know, look, Mike Mike Williams had it until his head hit the ground. And I think he and the ball came out, and then. Uh, Parham had it until Johnson was able to poke it out. So I give Johnson a lot of credit for saving the day, but I don't. I didn't love throwing two jump balls at a six foot two corner. No, I'm not in love with the fade ball in general. It's a low percentage pass, and yet each and every week we see teams lean on that play call with the game on the line. I will say this about the Chargers, and I know it has to be frustrating to be a Chargers fan. This quarterback is man, he is fantastic. He does a great job of keeping them in the game, and without three offensive linemen without his number one running back and just kind of doing it with a, you know, a, a, a unique patchwork offensive line. He has been able to do it and he puts them in a position to win. But at some point, the Chargers have to win some of these close games. Man, the heartbreak each and every week has to be tough on anybody associated with the franchise. It, 
you guys both just let into my thought perfectly. I have it written down here in my notes. It's heartbreak versus Herbert. How do you balance that if you're a Chargers fan? Because Herbert has been so good. He's only getting better. There's fun pieces around him all over the offense. They're going to continue to upgrade the offensive line. Eckler's going to come back here at some point, right? And then you just have your heart ripped out of your chest at the end of every game. So here's my proposal. Watch the game for 57 minutes. Watch Justin Herbert. (laughs) Watch Justin Herbert throw it all over the field, make these terrific tight window throws, deep ball throws. Enjoy it. Enjoy yourself. Bask in that glow that you have found a franchise quarterback. And then turn the game off. Just turn it off. (laughs) Just go to the beach. Turn the game off. Go just leave feeling really good about Justin Herbert and the future of this franchise and save yourself the heartache. Because deep down, I feel like that's what your broadcast partner, Matt Money Smith, wants to do, DJ. He wants to just get the heck out of the building in 57 minutes. I know. (laughs) I mean, if I'd have told you, I mean, Bucky, I'll go to you. 17 touchdowns, five picks. He's completing over 67% of his passes for 2,100 yards in seven games. They're averaging over 300 yards a game. Um, And they have one win in those starts. That's crazy. It's really unbelievable. And it's unbelievable a team that is as talented as the Chargers. Yes, I know they've been injured. They've been beat up. But you look at the talent on this team, there's no reason why this team shouldn't be a top 10 team in the league. And for whatever reason, they just can't finish. They just can't find their way to the winner's circle. And I really don't know how you change it. I don't know if there's things you can do in practice, um, but it won't change until they win that big game. And I thought Sunday was that opportunity for them to win a big game, to win a close game, and maybe that would kind of open up the lid on their ability to win. But we'll see. Another week, another heartache. Uh, has to be tough for Anthony Lynn and that crew. All right, what's next, Buck? Final one here, number 10. The Falcons show some life. Two receivers to the left, play fake to Gurley. Here's Ryan, going to put it up for grabs. Jones is wide open for the Atlanta touchdown. Oh, they sold the play fake and then the throwback to the front left pylon and Julio Jones in the end zone on his third touchdown catch of the year. That was filthy. Uh, Oh, man. Oh, Julio Jones, one of the best route runners in football, continues to get him each and every week. And when I look at this Atlanta Falcons team, Raheem Morris could have this team sitting at 4-0 under his direction. They're 3-1. Yeah. They're playing better. The defense is playing better. It's still ugly for them at the end of the games, but they are finding a way to win. And at some point, man, if he keeps chalking up dubs in the win column, I think Rich McKay and their ownership staff – they're going to have to consider him as a head coaching candidate. And I don't know if there's any, I don't know if any of us thought that that was a legitimate consideration when he was elevated to the interim head coach. Well, and kind of an off the cuff type of uh, comment, uh, owner Arthur Blank did say if Raheem Morris went 11 and 0, that he would consider him for the full time head coaching job. Uh, maybe he'd look, he'd overlook the, the girly gaffe at the end of the Lions game. You know, that would have made them 4-0 at this point yeah. if he does win out. Maybe 10-1 will be good enough. Um, but, look, this is just what frustrates you about Atlanta the last, I don't know, every year since the Super Bowl. The talent has been there. The talent has been there on offense. The talent has been there on defense, even though they've had some trouble rushing the passer. They've done that a little bit better this year with Dante Fowler. But uh, it, it, they're just they're just so frustrating that you could start a season 0-5 and now you have this big turnaround and they're three and one and gosh, they're not, I mean, they're not too far out of the playoff race, you know, as it sits right now. 
you know, with the with us going to seven playoff teams in each conference this year. Uh, look, I think that's still a little bit of a stretch, but look, it's it's interesting, right? You wonder though where they'd be if they'd have made a move. If this truly was what needed to happen, you know, why why didn't you make the move following last season? I know you finished winning six of eight, but still, you started one and seven last year. So, you know, it, it does beg the question, you know, why wasn't there more consideration to something like this done before the start of the season? Well, I, I just think it's interesting because if, if Raheem were to get the job, um, I think whatever path that you're on, right, if you're on this path, you're on this path with Dan Quinn, uh, Thomas Dimitrov, if you go with Raheem, I think the path just alters a little bit, right? I think you, you're going to see some tweaks and some changes, but for the most part, you're going to stay committed to the guys you've got there, and they're going to try and continue to do what they've done. If they go outside the organization, I mean, this thing is just, you're going in a, you're taking a total turn. I mean, this is a kind of a gut job. It's a rebuild. Um, I, you know, Bucky, where are you on on that? But to me, if, if it's Raheem, I don't see this as being a, I don't think he's going to be the head coach for them to do a total tear down and rebuild. To me, it feels like, man, we're, we're close. We just tweak a couple <laughs> things and, and, and off we go. Well, you know, DJ, there's a couple of different things at play because remember, not only do you have Raheem, but you got Rich McKay who has stepped back into the main decision maker role and he elevated Rustin Webster. And so if you keep this the same, you would like to think that they're going to kind of roll with it the way that it has rolled previously. Yes, you'll make some tweaks and adjustments, but if you bring somebody else in, you're absolutely right. You may take two steps back before you begin to make some progress going forward. If your ownership, what do you feel most comfortable doing? Do you feel comfortable overseeing a complete teardown? Or do you want to tweak it and be convinced that, hey, there are just a few things that we need to do to get back on track and reemerge as a team that can compete in the NFC South? You know, let me check, check my math on this here for a second. Rustin Webster, you're talking about the former, former GM of the Tennessee Titans, right, um, who had joined the Falcons scouting staff, uh, who – when he was with the Titans, fired Ken Wisenhunt and had Mike Malarkey step in as the interim coach and then ended up hiring Malarkey full time, right? Am I wrong on that? Mm-hmm. I think I, I think, might be right. I think that sounds right. I mean, that, look, it's kind of setting up that way, isn't it, here? <laughs> uh, well, 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 Red, it makes sense because you have to go all the way back. If you look at the history, all these guys were together with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Rich McKay was the GM. Rustin Webster was a guy that rose from the ranks of being a, a area scout to being a national scout. Raheem Morse was on that staff when they won the Super Bowl as a secondary coach. So for the sake of synergy, you could see that move made because of the comfort yeah. level that everyone has with everybody, as opposed to stepping outside of the organization, bringing in new faces, new ideas, new voices. You just don't know how that plays out. Yeah, and well, I just yeah, finished it up. Go ahead. I finished. I can finish this conversation up right here, Rhett, because uh, you know I don't know what kind of return policy they have, but if you were a Falcons fan that had ordered your Trevor Lawrence jersey, you're gonna want to get a refund on that yeah. because there's no way <laughs> on God's green earth I can foresee the Jets winning three games. So <laughs> you have your three wins if you're the Atlanta Falcons. That's good. You're on your way. But Trevor Lawrence, that ship has sailed. You gotta yeah, let that one go. That's, you're gone. <laughs> Well, it's been a fun show today looking at the takeaways. And as we've kind of finished looking back, Buck, I'm excited to look forward because we've got a huge matchup coming up next week in the NFC West. Rams and Seahawks, always one of the best of the year. 
it is always one of the best of years because a lot of times it determines who is the winner of the division. And so when you think about this game and you think about Sean McVay and Pete Carroll and just an interesting chess match that takes place between those two coaches, can't wait to see it play it on the field. Yeah, no more injuries, please. There's been enough injuries this NFL season. Let's keep everybody healthy. Let's get to the finish line here. Uh, we got some big games coming up again. We'll be have you covered with the recap of those games with our takeaway show next Monday. So I hope you look forward to that. I hope you enjoyed it today. We've had a lot of fun. We do appreciate you hanging with us. We'll see you next time right here on Move the Sticks, presented by Zaxby's. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.